every big thing starts small. It's a natural law. Every big multinational corporation was once a small business. Welcome to the Small Starter Business Podcast, a unique podcast for practical tips and advice to help you start, grow, or turn around your business. Welcome to episode 21 of the Small Starter Business Podcast. I am your host, John Paul Iwaha. Today's episode is about business models. Now, this is a very important part of starting and growing a successful business, but I wonder why it doesn't get as much attention as it deserves. And, you know, there are many ways to define a business model, but I think let's keep things simple. A business model is how your business works. So when I say works, how you create the product you sell, how you actually sell to customers and how you make money from the business. That's exactly what a business model means. And, you know, a business model is important because, you know, these days everybody has a brilliant business idea. You're running to people who tell you they have a groundbreaking, innovative, world-changing business idea that is going to make billions of dollars. But in my experience... It's not the best business idea that wins. It's the execution of the business idea. And most times, the execution of the business idea is primarily built on the kind of business model that you run that idea on. And this is important, this this concept of idea versus execution, because a lot of people have business ideas, but actually very few go ahead to start. And that's because it's in the starting of the business. It's in the building of the business. That's where the real work is. Anybody can have a rosy idea, a dream in their head. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost anything to fantasize. But if you're going to build something real, you have to roll up your sleeves and get busy. And that's where you're going to meet most of the challenges and obstacles that that um, would actually that you actually require to, to start a business. So this episode is going to focus on business models, what they mean, and how you can actually develop one so that you increase your chances of success with that business that you're that you're building. And the reason um, I, I I I focused on I'm focusing on this episode today is that something interesting happened in the past couple of weeks. Apple, Apple, the the tech company, the company behind the iPhone, the Mac, and um, iTunes, recently became the first company to be valued at more than $2 trillion. That's trillion with a T. Apple has become the first company to cross that milestone. And, you know, when I heard the news, I'm like, I was like, this is really interesting because on the surface, Amazon is actually a manufacturing company. And maybe a tech company because they make iPhones. Their most of their revenue, eighty percent of their revenue, comes from the sale of iPhones and um, other devices, you know. And then the rest comes from services. And what caught my attention, what 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 always excites me about Apple is that Apple is a manufacturing company that really doesn't have factories or equipment like a proper manufacturing company should have. You know, and Apple is not alone in this. Nike, the maker of um, of those beautiful shoes is also a manufacturer, but doesn't really have factories or equipment that make shoes. And, you know, so we are in the age of the innovative business model, where it is those businesses that have the the interesting business models, the creative business models that are able to make, that are able to actually achieve a lot of success. And it's not just Apple and Nike. We, we now have, we, we now have a, a, a very successful 
startup, a very successful company that is, a, that is in the hotel business but doesn't own hotels. That's Airbnb. So Airbnb has made it possible for anybody to now rent out the accommodation that they have to visitors or guests and things like that. We now have the world's biggest taxi company that doesn't own a single cab. That is Uber. You see, so it's no longer just about the business idea. It's actually how you execute it. And if you're going to properly execute a business idea, you need to understand the role that your business model will play in actually bringing that your business to life and um, helping it to succeed. So now let's get down to the brass tacks. When we talk about, when you, when you hear the, the, the term business model, it actually means three things. Because a business model is made up of three parts. The first part is your production model. The second part is your delivery model or your sales model. And then the third part is your revenue model. So let me just run through it again. The first part is your production model. How are you going to produce what you're going to sell? That's your production model. The second model is your delivery or sales model. How are you going to, how are you going to move those products and reach your customers? So that's your delivery model. How are you going to reach your customers? And then your revenue model is how are you going to make money? From that product or service that you sell so i'm going to go into detail into into the details of each of these three models sub models that make up a business model so that you can understand how they work and if you're going to be innovative with your business model you need to tweak at least one of these three sub models so let me start with the production model like i like i just said your production model is how you're going to make or create the product or service you want to sell apple sells iphones the iPhones came from somewhere. Somebody made it. Um, Nike sells shoes. The shoes came from somewhere. Somebody made it. Coca-Cola sells drinks, non-alcoholic beverages. It came from somewhere. Somebody makes it, you know? So the bottom line about your production model is how are you going to make or create the products you want to sell? And there are two typical ways you can do that. Many businesses, many companies go the traditional route, which is direct production, where you make your own product and your own service. And in essence, you own the factors of production. If you are in agribusiness, that means you own the land, you hire the labor. In any other kind of business, principally, it's capital. You're going to be investing in things like equipment, in labor, in materials, in utilities. So primarily, when it comes to direct production, you are going to be responsible for making the products that you sell. And that's what most businesses do. Now, the other way you can produce is to produce through third parties. And this is where things start to get interesting because it looks like this is the way that most of the successful companies that we that I that I know, especially some of the examples I've given you, Apple, Nike, and the rest of them, they use this type of production model where they get other companies to produce their own products. So they outsource it or they they give it out on contract. So it's typically called contract manufacturing and it's getting very popular these days. Now, before the COVID crisis thing hit, it was very obvious that a lot of companies in Europe and in North America were outsourcing their manufacturing to Asia. It could be India, China, Vietnam, and all these other places, Thailand, Japan, you know. So you get other companies to produce what you sell, either in full or in parties, either they produce the, the full product and then you put your own name on it, or you source different components from other manufacturers and then the only job you do is the coupling of it before you then before you then sell. Now, the advantage of getting third parties to produce for you is that it is flexible. You can easily change from one 
manufacturer to another manufacturer without really having to change a lot of things. Imagine if you had to change your production line. That means it will require a lot of money to change your equipment, to retrain your, your, to retrain your, your labor, your employees, and things like that. But when other, so, uh, other people are doing it for you, it's much more flexible. It's also less capital intensive because you are now paying for the products that you're going to get. You are not investing in equipment. You're not investing in all those um, resource intensive things like electricity, water, and all the, all the other things you need to run a modern facility. And all the headaches too you can face when it comes to running a, a modern facility. So, and like I mentioned, there are several examples. I've already given you the example of, um, of Uber, um, Airbnb, Apple. So Apple gets, Apple, Apple outsources its manufacturing. And typically it's the high, I think it's Honhai Foxconn. Foxconn is a, is a Taiwanese company and they are primarily known for producing many of the iPhones that, that, um, that we use. So if you have an iPhone or an Apple device, just look at the back. What you'll see is designed in California. So Apple designs the phones, but then Foxconn produces the phones, manufactures the phones, and then Apple puts their branding on it and sells it. But Apple, Apple as the maker of the iPhone, does not have equipment for producing phones. They, they outsource it. Facebook is another example, although a, a, a far less obvious example. What exactly is Facebook's product? Have you really thought about it? Facebook's product is content. The reason people go on Facebook and any social media is to read up on stuff that's been happening, catch up with friends and things like that. So the primary product of Facebook is the content and the eyeballs that it gets. Now, guess who produces the content that Facebook, that Facebook, um, that makes Facebook Facebook? Guess who produces the content? It is you and I. It is everybody who uses Facebook. And guess what? We produce the content for free. Facebook doesn't pay us for all the volumes of content, all the pictures we share, all the videos we upload, all the things we, we upload that make Facebook Facebook. Facebook doesn't pay anybody for it. So we are basically producing for Facebook for free. And then they use that content and the attention. And then, of course, the business model is built on advertising. So they make most of their money from the advertising. So it's, it's like a small unwritten contract. Facebook allows us to use their platform for free. In return, we generate data and content for Facebook. You know, and Facebook doesn't pay us for it. So that's a very interesting way, an interesting production model. Um, of course, another, another interesting one would be Coca-Cola. Now, for those who don't know, Coca-Cola Coca has bottling plants. Now, when I say has, that is in, in air quotes. Coca-Cola produces in many, con I think every single country has a Coca-Cola product. Now, for those who don't know, Coca-Cola doesn't actually own the bottling companies in all these countries. That's not Coke's business model. Coke's business model is to provide concentrates. Now, concentrate is that secret formula that Coke has that they produce, I believe it should be in the US, and then they sell that concentrate to the bottling companies across the world. It's those, comp it's those bottling companies that now add water and then, of course, you know, they dilute the concentrate to a concentration where it is safe for consumers to consume them. But Coke does not own any bottling plants. They have their arrangements. They have partnership arrangements or um, distributorship arrangements with all these bottling plants. The only thing that Coke sells to them is the concentrate. Coke does not get involved in the bottles, in the bottling of the drinks, in the distribution of the drinks or the sales of the drinks. The only thing that Coke does is formulate the concentrate and then do the advertising because every, 
everybody everybody benefits from the advertising so that's exactly so you can see that's exactly how these business models come around so don't forget the first component the first major component of a business model is your production model how are you going to make or create the product you want to sell the second part of your business model is your delivery model and your delivery model answers one simple question how are you going to reach your customers so it's one thing to have a great product but then if you're not reaching your customers that's a problem also you may be reaching your customers but it may not be the most effective and efficient way to reach your customers it may be very expensive to reach your customers which which will mean that maybe your product turns out to be very expensive or it may not even be profitable because it's costing you a lot to actually sell the product so how what what exactly is your delivery model you have a great product how are you going to get it to customers now there are there are two um, there are two principal uh, things we need to consider the first is direct versus indirect delivery. So direct delivery means that you're delivering direct to your, to your customers. You're not going through any change. You're going direct to your customers. Now, examples of companies or examples of businesses that do this will be utility companies. You deal directly with your utility company, whether it's the electricity provider or your water provider. That is DTC, direct to, direct to consumer, direct to customer. Banks too are the same way. You deal directly with your bank. Schools are the same way. You deal directly with the school. Restaurants, hospitals, hotels are like that. They are direct to consumer. So what it means is that you now have to, you, in, 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 in order to sell your product, you have to now target consumers directly. And it has a lot of implications, especially in, the, in your marketing and sales. Because when it comes to D2C, or as we call it B2C, you're you are not going to deal with mass marketing. There's a lot of market segmentation involved. There's a lot of knowing who exactly is your audience in a very crowded market and, and things like that. So that's one method. You can go to, you can use direct delivery. The second option is indirect delivery. So rather than selling directly to your, to your customers, you go through a chain, a chain of third parties, which would include, your, which would include um, wholesalers, distributors, retailers, partners, and things like that. So for, so for some businesses, it's not efficient to sell directly to your customers. It just makes sense for you to sell the product to your wholesalers. That way you're dealing with a very, you're dealing with a smaller number of, of customers than when you are selling to the whole market. So you sell directly to your wholesalers, your wholesalers break it down, sell to um, uh, distributors, and then at the bottom, at the end of it, are your retailers. So it's your retailers who sell directly to customers. So these methods have their pros and cons. Now, if you're going through third parties, what it means is that you are dependent on other people to move your products to the end user. It might have its own advantages. One advantage will be that it saves you the hassle of being everywhere. Because if you're selling to, if you can imagine you're in a particular country and you want to sell directly to consumers, that means you're going to own the whole of your supply chain, your whole distribution chain. You have to open outlets in every city, every town, every location. And that will be very capital intensive and resource intensive. But if you are selling through a chain of distributors, wholesalers, retailers, distributors, you know, you don't need to be everywhere. You sell to your wholesalers, they already have the network and access in the market. Now, the downside to that is that you do not control these third parties. They, they could have, um, 
they could use their bargaining power and their bargaining le leverage against you because you need them to sell. You know, they might insist on you selling to them at a particular price so that they make a particular level of profit. So that is a, a, a disadvantage of the um, indirect delivery. For, for direct delivery, you determine the price because you're selling directly to your customers, you know, but then the downside is that you have to build a distribution chain. You have to be everywhere in order to access your, your, your customers. Now, the, 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 other, the other sub um, model, more or less, under the delivery model is physical versus virtual delivery. Now, this is where the game starts to change. And virtual, virtual delivery, for example, has made it possible for more business to do direct-to-consumer delivery. So if you are selling over the internet, what that means is that the internet has dramatically cut down the cost of distribution. So you don't need to rely on all those third parties because you're not moving physical goods or services. You now have access to your consumers because once they are on the internet, you can sell your products to them. So that's why software businesses have very solid, very good profits, very good profit margins and, and things like that. So if, if I look at an example of this physical versus virtual delivery, now in the, in the movie business before Netflix, there are only two ways you can watch movies, or actually three ways. You can buy a DVD, you can go to the cinema, to a theater, or you can watch it on cable TV. You can watch a movie on cable TV. Now, what Netflix has done is that because they don't have to sell to you through DVDs and all those other physical delivery models that are actually much more expensive, Netflix sells directly to consumers by allowing you to stream your videos on the internet. So they have direct access to you. Their delivery model is different. That's why they were able to kick out Blockbuster. Blockbuster was a physical delivery model. You had to go to a Blockbuster shop and rent a movie and then or maybe make an order and then they'll they send it to your house. Physical delivery is always clumsy because it, it requires the movement of things around. And the moment logistics gets involved, something can get missing. It could get missing on routes to the customer. It could get missing in the sorting facility. And there's all this other information management and things that you have to do. But if it is virtual delivery, it makes things easier and, and faster. I can also see this happening in what is happening in the financial services industry. Traditionally, banks have used a physical delivery model. You want, to, you want to get your money, you go to a bank branch. You want to open an account, you go to a bank branch. You want to do an international transfer or a local transfer of money, you go to a physical bank branch. So banks have always used the physical delivery model. But what we are seeing now with fintechs, financial technology companies, is that with a mobile app or with access to the internet, you don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to go to a physical office or shop. You can transfer money from your phone, from your device, you can open an account from your phone, from your device. You can, you know, complete transactions and things like that. So this virtual delivery model has significantly changed the game in the financial services industry. What it means is that new companies that are fintechs, they grow much faster than physical banks. Their profits are much better than physical banks. And they're able to scale wider and cross maybe borders and things like that. And what we're now beginning to see, for example, is that even in regulation, you want to open a bank, there are different types of licenses. You know, in, in some countries, you could have a license for a particular city, for a particular state, or a national license. But for a fintech company, a company that operates on the internet, the internet does not have, is not restricted by physical borders. 
So all of a sudden, you have access to the, a global market, and then now regulators are struggling to see how they can contain all of this. Another interesting trend I see in the delivery model space is supermarkets versus e-commerce. So, <clears throat> excuse me, before, before companies like Amazon, if you wanted to buy groceries or buy anything, you had to go to a physical location called a supermarket and then buy all the things you want to buy and then move them in a trolley to your car and then go home. So it was inconvenient because you had to leave everything you were doing to go to a physical store and buy stuff. But with e-commerce, companies like Amazon, uh, Jumia, Alibaba, and all of them, a lot of them that are coming up now in the e-commerce space, you don't need to go to any physical store because the delivery model is virtual. You order the things you want online, and rather than go to a physical place, they come to you and deliver it to you. So it's the innovation around the business model, especially in this case, the delivery model that's allowed Amazon to stand out. The products that Amazon sells are not different from what you can get in your supermarkets. But the difference is that Amazon has changed the delivery model. You buy on your device and they deliver to you, which means it's much more convenient. Amazon can give you some very interesting prices because their profit margins are better. You know, they don't incur the distribution costs that, um, that other supermarkets incur by paying rent on a physical facility and running a physical facility and things like that. So delivery model innovation is also an interesting way to to tweak your business model. So this now brings us to the third component of a business model, which is your revenue model. Now, as you can already imagine from the name, the revenue model means how are you going to make money from your product or service? So you may have a great product. You may have a solid production model. You may have figured out an interesting way to deliver it to customers. But does your product make money? And when I mean money, is it sustainable? Are you going to make um, are you going to make money that assures you a profit that ensures that you remain in business and then the business grows? So how are you going to charge for what you're selling? That's also another interesting way to play with your business model. And I'm going to give you a couple of um, examples of revenue models that, that are in play across different industries from my observation. The first is the transactional business model, the transactional revenue model. Now, this is the oldest form of revenue model in the world. And it's very simple. I give you a product, you pay me money, and it's over. And if I want to make money again, I have to, give, I have to sell you the product, and then you pay me money. So it's just transactional, is one of sales. And most businesses use this kind of revenue model. That's what most people do. You buy a product, and then you, know, you, you pay money, and then you get the product, and, and it's over that way. For many years, that's how software companies sold software. If you wanted to buy a movie, a DVD, it's a transactional sale. You buy the movie, and then you pay money and then it's over. If you had to join a, a gym, if you wanted to buy, if you, if you needed a car, you go buy the car, pay full money and then get the car. That's the oldest way, that's the oldest revenue model. But as you can imagine, things are changing because businesses are innovating around the revenue model. And I'll give you some examples. One of the, the, the most um, interesting one these days is the recurring revenue model. So rather than, rather than build a business model on transactions, a recurring revenue model means that you're building it on relationships because a transaction means that you, you sell once and then you have to keep selling. But recurring revenue means that you sell once and then as long as the customer is satisfied, they keep paying you. So one example would be a retainer. So if you wanted to hire the services of a consultant or a lawyer, the traditional way is that they tell you the charge for the fee for their service and then you pay. That's it. That's transactional. But under a retainer, what the consultant or the lawyer tells you is that 
pay me this amount to cover you to cover you for then for for one year so i pay you pay the cost they pay the consultants an amount and then for the full year you have access to their services and then at the end of the year you can renew the retainer another option another another type of um recurring revenue i see these days is the subscription model and this is the topical um, so this is a topical revenue model of our times because most businesses have pivoted to this um, to this um, uh, uh, to the recurring revenue model. I'll give you several examples. For many years, even when I was growing up, Microsoft sold software through DVDs. You have to you had to go out there and then buy the software. It was transactional. These days, that no that no longer happens. You pay a a subscription for 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 the software. So rather than buying a Microsoft software for, at a, at a one-time fee, now it's a subscription thing. You subscribe to gain access to Microsoft Office and other services and things like that. Most software businesses, which is why the name Software as a Service is now the name. Software as a Service is now called SaaS. So rather than sell software as a product, which is based on transactional revenue, on, on the transactional revenue model, Software as a service now sells software as a recurring revenue model, and everybody's doing it. Um, Netflix is on subscription basis. If you want to join a gym these days, it's on subscription basis. Almost everybody is on the subscription thing. And the, the reason is that it guarantees consistent revenue. It helps you focus on building a relationship with a customer. It reduces the hassle of always selling, selling, selling. It increases the lifetime value of your customers. There are several different benefits I can't even get into right now. So recurring is, um, is the second type of revenue model. The, another type of revenue model is the, leasing, is the leasing and rental business model. So, And this is very common with um, businesses that sell high-ticket items. So high ticket means you're selling something that is more or less considered expensive. The price is high. So this will include things like vehicles, buildings, land, equipment, and things like that. So what the leasing business model says is, rather than buy this car for $10,000, which is a transactional revenue model, why don't you just pay $200 a month and then use the same car? Now to the customer, the customer wants a car. They don't care more or less how what they want is a car they need the car to go to work they need it to meet their mobility needs and things like that but before now the only way to get that car would have been to pay the full ten thousand dollars which is transactional and then the person gets the car but by using the lending or rental revenue model what you're saying is you don't need to pay ten thousand dollars just pay two hundred dollars a month and you have access to the car and that's why we're seeing that Rentals and leasing is growing everywhere. Agricultural equipment, most of them are now run on rentals because many farmers cannot afford the full cost of a tractor or heavy equipment. Vehicles, that same way. Leasing and rentals. Buildings, the same way. If you keep waiting for people to pay the full amount before they buy the house, it's going to take quite some time. So that's why we're not seeing options like mortgage or even rentals. So for many people, it's convenient to rent a house or land rather than buy it outright. And when you lease, it's flexible. Depending on the arrangements, the owner of the equipment or the owner of the car or the owner of the building is still responsible for major maintenance and things like that. You do not bear the risk of ownership and things like that. So this is an interesting way to tweak your revenue model that can significantly boost your sales because when, you, when you're renting, the cost of acquiring or using the product is now much lower than buying outright. So what it means is that naturally you're going to attract much more people to use 
your products or to buy from you or to become your customer. Another interesting revenue model is advertising. Now, and I'm going to give you an, interest, an, an example here that will really make you appreciate this. Now, the, the benefit of, of advertising is you're trying to monetize the attention that you get. Maybe you have something that gets a lot of attention, whatever it is. Anything can get an attention. It could be your face. Maybe you're a celebrity. It could be your location. Maybe you're at a place that enjoys a lot of food traffic. It could be an exclusive access or something that you have. But for whatever reason, if, you're attract, if, you're at, if, you're, if you have something that attracts attention, that has advertising revenue model potential. If you have traffic or you have an audience, people listen to you. So maybe what now, you're a musician or something like that, that's advertising revenue. So a good way to look at this is, let me use another, another example. You know, so Facebook can easily, because of how valuable Facebook is now, or more than 2 billion people are users of Facebook. Nothing stops Facebook from charging all of us that use Facebook $1 each. After all, we get a lot of value from using Facebook. We hang out on Facebook. We like to use it. So if Facebook charges us $1 each to use Facebook, that's not a big deal. A lot of people are going to pay. Many people are going to pay. But rather than charge us money, either on a transactional revenue model or recurring revenue model, Facebook actually gives out the platform for free. Using Facebook is free. Facebook makes its money instead from advertising. Now, because Facebook gets a lot of attention, a lot of people visit Facebook, a lot of people use Facebook, Facebook has monetized that attention it gets, the data it gets from the people who use its, who use its platform, and it is now selling it to people who need eyeballs and data, which are advertising Anybody who wants to advertise, from small businesses to big brands, anybody who wants to advertise is looking for a place where there are a lot of people. And Facebook has 2 billion people who always come there. So it's a natural, it's a, it's a very interesting way to monetize something you have. Because like I mentioned, Facebook could easily, easily charge each person $1 to use Facebook per month. And a lot of people will pay. You know, But what it's done is by making it free, the size of the platform is now major because it has removed a major obstacle that, that may have held people back from joining. Facebook is free. You don't lose anything by joining Facebook, more or less in equals. But you're generating data for them for free. You're generating content for them for free. But Facebook is making its money from advertising. The same thing too you see in airports or any place where you have busy traffic. If you have a property, you have a piece of real estate in a place where there's a lot of traffic, people are always moving in and out. Like, for example, airports, parks, and things like that. Those are prime locations for advertising revenue it's also interesting that celebrities people who have people who are popular or famous make a lot of money too from advertising because like i mentioned if you have something either it's your face or an asset or a location that you have that gets a lot of attention or people go by or people notice it or people spend time on it the advertising revenue model is very interesting for that and then the other um, revenue model I want to talk about is the commissions. Now, what commissions, the, the interesting thing about commissions is that they are a form of revenue model that are performance related. So the better you can do the job for your customer, the more money you can earn. So what commissions say, what commissions um, do is that, you know, why do you need to limit what you earn when, you know, there's really no upside where you can earn a commission you always get a cut from what uh, from the from the value you deliver. So things like affiliate relationships, joint venture relationships, agency relationships, partnerships. 
you can earn money from commissions. And like I mentioned, the reason why commissions make a lot of sense is that they are performance related. If you are confident in the value you can provide and your ability to perform, there's no point limiting what you can earn. On a commission basis, the more value you provide, the more you earn. So these are essentially the three components that make up a business model. Whenever you hear business model, a business model is really a house of three things. It, it's com it comprises your production model, how you're going to make or create your products. Also includes your delivery model, how you're going to get your products to customers. And it includes your revenue model, how you're going to make money from it. So if you're going to innovate in your business model, these are the three things you need to tweak. The first is look for a way to tweak your production model in a way that makes it easier, faster, more convenient, lower cost. Bottom line is you're looking for opportunities to reduce waste and improve your competitive advantage. If you can produce better than your competitors, that's already an advantage. That's one advantage that Apple has. Apple is not constrained by uh, what now? Worker strikes because it doesn't own any factories. Um, you know, it's not constrained by the cost of equipment. Did you know that Apple is, I think it's, I think it's one of the companies that has the largest reserves of cash. Well, the last time I checked, they had, they, they had about $50 billion in cash. And that makes a lot of sense. They are not constrained by all those other things that tie down money, like equipment and, and, and fixed assets and things like that, because they have a third party that is providing all of that. Coke. Coca-Cola is not constrained by, by that too. Coke focuses on, on producing the concentrate. And then it depends on a network of bottling companies across the world to get the Coke ready, distribute it, and get it to their consumers. So Coke is one of those products that is available every single place in the world. Imagine if the Coca-Cola company had to own factories everywhere in the world. That would be very capital intensive. But rather, Coke focuses on only producing the concentrate. And then it farms it out to its um, network of bottling companies and independent bottling companies. So that's something you can play with. The same thing too with Nike. Nike designs the shoes, but it doesn't manufacture the, the shoes. Sends it out to its um, third parties. Same with Facebook. Facebook is the largest platform for content, but it doesn't produce any content because its users produce the content for free. That's how Facebook gets its own product. So this is how you need to think about business model innovation. One way is how do you innovate around your production model? The second way to build a solid business model is to tweak your delivery model. If you can start to get creative about how you're going to get your products to your consumers, to your customers, in a way that is faster, convenient, less expensive, um, more optimized, and in a way that gives you an advantage over the competition. Now, supermarkets and retail outlets have existed for years, for decades and for centuries. But it took Amazon to tweak the delivery model to disrupt that industry. So that's the, that's the component of the, of, the, of the delivery model because Amazon does not produce, Amazon uses the same production model like, like most supermarkets. Amazon buys from, from producers, from brands, you know? So it's, it, was, it wasn't really the production model that differentiated Amazon. It was the delivery model. Amazon changed how, how groceries, goods and services, books, items can be delivered to the consumer. Rather than the consumer come to the shop to make the purchases, Amazon allows them to make the purchases from their home at their convenience and then delivers it to their location. So Amazon changed the delivery model. That's what made its business model stand out. The next thing you can do to improve or 
um, innovate your in your business model is to tweak your revenue model. So if you look around in your industry, how are people charging? Are most people charging? Are most people doing um, uh, business on a transactional basis? Is that the revenue model in your industry? Then get creative, change the revenue model. That's exactly what Netflix did to disrupt the movie distribution business. So Netflix produ production model is like every other um, movie business. The movies are, are, are made by the actors and all of that. So it wasn't really the production model that, that stood Netflix apart. It was the delivery model and the revenue model. Netflix changed how to deliver goods to customers rather than sell to them in DVDs or uh, get people to watch in cinemas or watch on TV. Netflix streams over the internet. So Netflix, Netflix innovated around the delivery model and also around the revenue model. So rather than buy movies on a transactional basis, if you want to buy, if you want to watch 10 movies before Netflix, you have to buy those 10 DVDs or rent those 10 DVDs. But what Netflix is doing now is with just $10, $9 in some places. You can watch as many movies as you want. That is an amazing value proposition. Just with a fixed amount per month, you can watch as many movies as you want. If you want to watch 100, you can watch. If you want to watch 1,000, you can watch. So the innovation was around the revenue model. So these are the three ways you can, you can you know, build a solid business model. Tweak your production model or tweak your delivery model, or tweak your revenue model in a way that stands you apart from most people, most competitors, most businesses in your industry. That is how to build a solid business model. So to round up this episode, there are four things, four interesting things I need you to do. I need you to consider. The first is to join our insiders program. All of this great stuff you're hearing, all of this great stuff you get from, the, from our episodes. Most of this value is coming from our insiders program. That is where I work directly with entrepreneurs who are starting, growing, or turning around their businesses. There is no single course, there is no single book that will help you figure out the challenges of building a successful business. That's because the problems show up every single day. And entrepreneurship is a journey. And along that journey, you're going to have questions, you're going to have frustrations, there are going to be things that you need to be clear about. And that's exactly what we do inside the Insiders Program. We are a community of entrepreneurs who are building our businesses together. And to learn more about how you can join the Insiders Program to get direct access to me and the community of other entrepreneurs who are within our community, head over to smallstarter.com slash insiders. Again, it is smallstarter.com slash insiders. The second thing I need you to do is to tell your friends about this podcast. The world needs many, many more entrepreneurs right now because these are very trying times. We have a lot of people who are looking for jobs and those jobs are not going to fall out of the sky. Those jobs are going to be created by people and those people are entrepreneurs. Many of the governments, many of our governments are already at their wit's end when it comes to creating jobs. That's because it's not government's role really to create jobs. Creating jobs is a process, is the, out, is the outcome of a person's innovation. Somebody has a business idea, has the confidence and the guts to start that business. They will need help. That's where jobs come from. So if you're thinking, if you have a, if you have a job and you love your job, or you want to start something on the side, you will love this podcast. If you know somebody who's thinking of starting a business, who is growing a business, or is already in business and is, exper is experiencing a lot of trouble, they're going to learn a lot from the Small Starter Business Podcast. So recommend this podcast to your smart friends out there. The third thing I need um, I, I need you to consider is to give us a five-star review. If you enjoy this podcast, if you love the content of this podcast, the best way to say thank you is to leave us a five-star review. 
It's not just good for my ego, but it's also good for the podcast rankings. What five-star reviews do is that um, when people search for business podcasts in the podcast directories, it could be iTunes or wherever, podcasts that have good rank, podcasts that have good reviews tend to rank higher. So if you like our content, if you like the, uh, if, if this podcast has helped you, you leave us a five-star review. It's going to help other people find us. And then the other thing I need you to consider is if you have a question on your mind, there's something that you need me to address or something, and you're not quite ready to join the Insiders program, you can ask your question and get featured on this podcast. You can leave your, just send me a voice message at smallstarter.com slash message, smallstarter.com slash message, record it there. And then if it's exciting, and I think a lot of people are going to learn from it, I'm going to feature your, your question or your comments on the Small Starter Business Podcast. So again, business ideas really don't matter. A lot of people have business ideas. What really matters is execution. And the foundation of proper execution is a solid business model. I hope you've learned a lot from this and I look forward to the next episode. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. To take our free business courses or join one of our signature programs for special entrepreneurs like you, head over to smallstarter.com to join our private community. See you inside.